Appreciate Eric very much for uh, stepping in at a moment's notice and filling in for uh, Pastor Andy as he has some sickness in his family and he needed to, he needed to lay out today and uh, so appreciate him stepping up and uh, taking over and it's always a blessing uh, to have him and to have other people like him that can just step up in a moment's notice and just take over. Um, you know, and sometimes I, I, I realize how, uh, um, um, how unimportant any one person is. And I think about, um, you know, how many songs have been sung from this platform uh, before Andy got here and one day after Andy's gone. And the same with me, how many, how many sermons have been preached from this, from this podium uh, 75 years or more before I got here and probably many more after one day I'm gone. And that's why we're the body of Christ, because we're united uh, and we help one another. And so I'm really appreciative of Eric and other people like him. Uh, so the topic of my sermon today is quarreling over opinions. That may seem like, uh, that may seem like an interesting topic, an odd topic. I think this is going to be quite possibly one of, the more, more of the, one of the more practical sermons that we have done throughout Romans and maybe even one of the more controversial sermons that we have done uh, throughout Romans, uh, maybe even rivaling the one from last week. Uh, it's interesting how controversial it is to, when you talk to people about how they should behave in the midst of controversy. Uh, that's, uh, that's an interesting thing. Uh, so this does seem like an odd topic for a sermon, but I think that God knows how eager we seem to be to share, defend, and argue over the accuracy of our opinions, uh, whether it be about the superiority of the SEC um, or our favorite flavor of ice cream or which presidential administration is best for our nation, regardless of the topic, we love to pontificate our thoughts on the matter, do we not? Uh, these quarrels that we have are rarely fruitful. Most of the time they bring division and judgment. But there is something about religious opinions, religious opinions, that are especially heated and are especially divisive. And I think that's why God's Word talks about this so much. And we have so many Bible passages that talk about how we're not supposed to quarrel over our opinions. But how do we distinguish between what we should argue and fight about and what we should not? I believe that God's Word gives us some clear guidance. I hope that this message here today will help maybe bring some distinction about some things that are worthy of arguing over and things that are not worthy of arguing over. But the passage that we're going to look at today in Romans really tells us about the things that we should not quarrel over. Let's stand and read this passage uh, together uh, from Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. It says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Obviously, that's where I got the title of this message today, about quarreling over opinions. Verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, 
and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of both the dead and of the living. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for just practical guidance that we receive. Lord, even in the small things, like opinions and whether we should quarrel over them or not. Lord, I pray that you would take this uh, passage today. I pray that you would use it for your glory, and I pray that you would be exalted above everything else. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I remember my seminary days. I remember going to Bible classes, and I remember studying certain things, and I remember my, my gun, so to speak, being loaded with so much knowledge Anytime I got into any type of discussion with a colleague or a fellow student and a topic came up, man, I was, I was ready to argue. I was ready to talk about it. And as students, as seminary students, we loved sitting around and debating the minor points of the law, using the most colorful language uh, in the, uh, of theological terms that might be available to us, arguing over things like, who wrote the book of Hebrews, or various other things that really have no, have no bearing upon the gospel. And I have to say that that spilled over a little bit into my evangelism. Whenever I would be talking to lost friends, people who didn't know Jesus, or people that uh, needed to be one to the Lord, I found myself overwhelming them with information and arguing with them about certain things. And if you've done evangelism very much, you know that people who have an objection to the gospel and an objection to Jesus will try to sidetrack you away from the gospel and get you talking about things that are unrelated to the gospel that leads unto salvation. And I would follow those rabbit trails and I would argue and I ended, it ended up being just completely and absolutely unfruitful, both uh, in the context of the church as well as in the context of wanting to live missionally in the world. And so that's why I believe that God has given us verses like this uh, and many others. I won't draw all of them out today, but many, many verses and many passages of Scripture that we have that tell us that we're not to quarrel over opinions. Now, if, uh, if, if we look at this carefully, we do see that there is a distinction in this passage between a person that's seen as strong and a person that is seen as weak. We all know that there are strong opinions and strong views and strong beliefs, and there are some that are weaker. There are people who are stronger spiritually, and there are people who are not as strong spiritually. But if you want to compare some verses with me right quick, if you look at the verse that I read uh, initially in Romans chapter 14, verse 1, 
And then I didn't show this one for the screen, but if you were to flip in your Bible and look at Romans chapter 15, verse 1, we see that there is an obligation that is placed upon people that are the strongest, uh, the freest, uh, the most knowledgeable among us, the most spiritual among us to maintain unity and to be the ones that lead out in not quarreling. And so there's no cause for judgment just because there are people that are more or less spiritual, more or less knowledgeable, or things like that. Uh, but the main obligation is placed upon those who are spiritual to restore people gently, and to maintain unity, and to not engage in the quarreling. And that's what it says. Do not quarrel over opinions. Quarreling over opinions. I think that word, opinion, is very important. Do you know that there is a difference between the opinions of man and the Word of God? There's a big-time difference between those two. The opinions of man may or may not be rooted in the truth of Scripture. But the truth of God, the Word of God, things that we see clearly in Scripture, are the only things that are infallible. And there is a difference between opinions and between God's Word. I try very, very, very hard on Sunday mornings to not present my opinions, to always present to you, thus saith the Lord. Because I want the things that we hear in worship, the things that we learn in worship, I want, they to, them to, I want the, those truths that I present to you to be as infallible as possible, even though I am a fallible man with fallible opinions. I try very hard just to say, thus saith the Lord. Here's what the Bible says. I'm just the, I'm just the parrot. I'm just the one that is, that, is, that is the conduit through which God's truth happens. And as life group leaders and various other leaders in positions who teach and lead, you do the same things. But there are four categories that I want to present to you today that I believe that we can categorize all the major, I guess you would say, teachings or doctrines. Four major categories that show us the difference between man's opinion and God's word. First, there are primary issues. Primary doctrines that are related to the gospel, that are related to salvation, and that are clearly spoken of in Scripture. They're not matters of opinion. They're not matters of opinion. They are clearly stated in God's Word. And these, uh, the, um, and then there are secondary issues. Okay, Secondary type issues are issues of sound doctrine. Very, very important issues. Issues that are clearly stated in Scripture where we can find clarity, but they're not necessarily salvation issues, but they are sound doctrine issues. Then there's tertiary issues. And we're gonna and these are kind of third-tier issues. And we're gonna talk about two of these that the early church, we've already read about them, that the early church, the church at Rome, and really churches all throughout the known world at the time tertiary issues that they argued over, and food and religious holidays were two of those that we just read about. Then there's opinions. Opinions. Opinions are our views on questions, our answers 
to questions about things that are not clearly stated in Scripture. That's why we quarrel and debate them. Because they're not clearly stated, so we have an opinion. Okay, what would be some example of some primary issues? Here's, an exa- here's some examples of some primary issues. Monotheism, this means that there is only one God. The opposite would be polytheism. Trinity, God is, okay, there's one God in three persons. The divinity and humanity of Christ. Only Jesus saves. Jesus is bodily resurrection. These are primary issues, um, being saved by grace through faith, the the reality of eternal judgment. These are issues of salvation. These are things that are clearly taught in Scripture. And we could could legitimately say that you, you really can't even be a Christian unless you have proper beliefs about these things. Is it possible to be saved if you don't believe in the divinity of Christ? It's not. Is it possible to be saved if you believe that there is more than one God? That that God is somehow... these These are issues of salvation. And most Christians don't quarrel over these things. Uh, the Reformation pretty much firmly established these. Then there's secondary issues. Secondary issues. And here's some of them. These are extremely important doctrinal biblical issues to which the Bible gives clear, I mean, gives, gives absolute clear answers to these things. And we can find them in Scripture. Um, we, would, we wouldn't say to a person that didn't say, believe what we believe about, I don't know, say the security of the believer. We wouldn't say, you're not saved. But what we probably would say, we would say, you know what? There's some teaching in Scripture, and you need some discipleship, and I want to walk you through some of these Bible verses and help you understand these things. These are important issues that are matters of sound doctrine that the Bible speaks clearly about. And then there's these third-tier issues. And these are, these are normally, these tertiary issues are normally where the quarreling starts, okay? So, the extent of man's free will. This is a... This is a big quarreling point right now that we see among a lot of Christians and a lot of seminarians. Well, how much does man have free will and how much does God, I mean, how how do you explain it? Our views on spiritual gifts. Some people believe that um, every spiritual gift that was available in the early church is all available to us now. How about this? Proper church organization. We call that ecclesiology. All right? And how about this one? Some of you think this is a primary issue, but it's not. Okay, end times events, the order of the end times events, and when, and when the, uh, your interpretation of the book of Revelation and how you, or, listen, history hadn't happened yet, so you can't really write that history. We have the prophecies about it. These are tertiary issues. These may be fun to talk about. They're not worthy of quarreling about. Then there's opinions. How do you like this? Boy, these are things we like to fight over. We love to fight over these types of things. The best translation of the Bible. Old hymns versus new praise songs. Homeschooling versus public schooling. How about that last one? Boy, we love fighting over these things. We love fighting over our opinions about these things. And even sometimes within one doctrine, we can find levels of primary doctrine and, uh, and, and tertiary doctrine. For example, here's, here's an example for you. 
All right? A primary doctrine about Jesus coming back. A primary doctrine would be Jesus came to earth and died for sin. Listen, you can't be saved unless you believe that. That's a primary doctrine. A secondary doctrine would be Jesus is coming back. If you don't believe that, there is something major wrong with your theology. Somebody has mistaught you and you need some discipling. A, a third tier issue would be Jesus will come back before a seven-year tribulation. Now, do we really think that a person can't be godly unless they believe that? I know a lot of godly people that don't believe that. Now, here's, here's where the opinions come in. Well, Jesus is coming back next year in between a certain feast at a certain time whenever the moon is full, right? I mean, we can come up with all types of opinions, and the Bible tells us that we don't fight, we don't argue, we don't quarrel over opinions. And I would even say over a lot of these tertiary, these third tier things, as well as opinions, that we don't fight over these things. We don't quarrel. We don't separate from one another. We don't dispute with one another. We don't segregate. We don't differentiate among ourselves because of those things. The Bible doesn't say that you can't have an opinion. The Bible just says that we need to be careful not to quarrel over our opinions. Y'all, everything can't be a primary issue. If it is, all we would do was fight. If we made everything a primary issue, if we were always balling up our spiritual fist at someone whenever they didn't have the same opinions that we do, even about third tier things. What type of what so how would this play out in the early church? What did they quarrel over? Well, they quarreled over food and religious holidays. These are the two things that we see all throughout this passage. There's also some other verses in scripture that show us in other passages and other books of the Bible that it wasn't just Christians in Rome, but Christians in Colossus and Christians in Galatia and Christians in other parts of the world, that they also argued over what was proper to eat and what wasn't proper to eat. I thank the Lord that it was the weak person that wouldn't eat bacon. That's a joke. Listen, if you're a vegetarian, it would be a violation of this scripture for me to make fun of you because the Bible actually says that we, uh, that, that we shouldn't quarrel over these things. I mean, you can pick on me for being a chunky fatty and eating bacon. That's fine. Um, but I, I, don't need to, I don't need to do it the other way around. Um, but these are the things, these were opinions that were elevated to arguments, the consumption of certain foods and drinks, and the observance of religious holidays. Now, to make this more volatile and more difficult is a lot of the commands related to the food and drink, a lot of the things related to the religious holidays were embedded in commands in the Old Testament. Well, when Jesus came, things changed. And some people, they had a real problem with, with, that, uh, with that change. And you remember Peter, for example, whenever he saw a vision and a sheet was let down and the Lord said, hey, uh, arise and eat. Um, that signaled that there was, there was a change in the early church. They struggled with this. Well, even Jesus himself, he said, it's not the things that go into a person, but the things that come out of a person that defile them. And uh, the writer, the gospel writer, even adds a little footnote, a little, a little parenthesis in there that says, thus declaring all foods clean. So 
what are some things that we argue about? I'm not going to put these on the screen, but it's interesting to me that every year it comes around, there's always this Halloween debate, okay? That's not a religious holiday, but I always see that that kind of comes around every year. Uh, sometimes I even run into a lot of Christians that don't observe Christmas, okay? So this whole religious holiday thing that they struggled with, we see it sometimes among us. Um, and the same with Easter and other things like that. There are some Christians that believe one way and some Christians that believe another way. There are some Christians that would be offended by decorations, for example, in a church. They say, these are not things to quarrel about. These are, these are just opinions. We, we, can't, uh, we, we can't separate over them. And I don't even really want to get into this, the whole food and drink thing, uh, specifically as it's related uh, to beverage alcohol. Um, I know that we all have opinions on that. I certainly have an opinion on that. I have had a very, very strong opinion on that. Um, and I'm actually going to talk more about that next week when the Bible talks about being a stumbling block. So I'm going to hold that one. Uh, but how about this? Um, it amazes me how much um, uh, the pandemic, how much COVID has brought a lot of opinionizing and has divided Christians. This has been a grievous thing to see over the past year and a half. As Christians have argued over masks, they've argued over vaccines. And one person would, would say, uh, in, a, in a spiritual way, would say, well, you need to do these things in order to love your neighbor. And then the other person would say, no, the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not doing it, and so why should I do it for you? And so we try to spiritualize it. Other people, they want to express their opinion through political means, using terms of, of freedom and non-freedom. Other people express their opinions using medical terms. Well, here's medical reasons for my opinions, and you should have the same. And it really doesn't matter if we express our opinion medically, or if we express it politically, or if we express it religiously. Um, it is very grievous that media and social media has caused us to quarrel among ourselves and has created division within the body of Christ over that. It's very sad that that has happened. But if you think about it, the news media and social media does nothing but quarrel over opinions. That's all they do is quarrel over opinions. Uh, they stopped giving just, just factual news a long time ago. Now they give all the opinionizing and the commentary over it. And it's getting to the point, if you don't agree with me, and if you don't take the same action as me, then now you're the enemy. And this is a shame. And what we have to be sure we don't do is allow the things that are happening out in the world to come into the body of Christ and for us to begin to behave just like people in the world. We're called to be different. We're called to not quarrel over opinions. And when our opinions become over-spiritualized, and when they become politicized, we're just destined for the division and the quarreling to happen. So what does the Bible tell us to do in concern with things like this? Food and religious holidays and all the different things that we could possibly talk about and quarrel over. The Bible tells us in verse 3 through verse 4, it says, Do not despise... And do not judge. Do not despise and do not judge. Look what the scripture says. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. So the one that feels the most freedom, 
to walk in the most freedom possible. And we could say, we could possibly say that this is the position of the strong. The one who would say that all of the religious laws in the Old Testament, the ritual laws, the dietary laws of the Old Testament, that they, they don't apply to us anymore. And I think that most of us would probably agree with that. Uh, that would be the stronger position. The Bible says that, listen, those of you who have that type of freedom, don't despise the one who abstains. Don't despise the one that still feels the need to follow those Old Testament dietary laws. And then it goes on to say, and let not the one who abstains, the one who says, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to eat those things. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one that does. And I, I'm taking a little, a little freedom here, but I think those words could be used interchangeably. That the despising and the judgment could go in either direction. Well, despise, what does that mean? It means to regard with contempt as worthless and despicable. Do you know that this is not the way that you should see your brother and sister in Christ? Just because you have a different opinion of them over something? Over an issue that's not a primary doctrine? Not even a secondary doctrine? Might not even be a tertiary doctrine? Is just kind of your just kind of your view and your opinion that maybe you've over elevated. The Bible says that you're not supposed to have this type of attitude. That you're not supposed to despise your brothers and sisters in Christ over opinions and judgment. What does judgment mean? Judgment, and we talked about judgment at the beginning of our study in Romans. Judgment is a critical opinion formed through close examination and scrutiny that leads to condemnation and sentencing. It's whenever you really pay close attention to who someone is and what they believe and you begin to despise them and look down upon them and judge them because maybe they have a different opinion than you do. Brothers and sisters, we're not called to be this way to each other. Now listen, we know that all human beings are judgmental, not just Christians. And we know that when it comes to when it comes to being judgmental, this does not mean that we're not supposed to point out sin. We know that to be the case. It's not judgmental for someone to come up to you and point out your sin. If you are living in blatant immorality and you have a different opinion than God does about marriage, it is not judgmental for someone to come to you and say, listen, um, the Bible clearly says that you shouldn't do this or act this way or be this way. The Bible calls it sin. That is not judgmental. That is your brother or your sister in Christ pointing out to you what the Bible clearly says because they want to see you walk in holiness and they want to see you walk in godliness. Calling out sin is not judgmental. If so, God's the most judgmental person that we know. Because we have recorded all throughout the Bible that God sent people to point out the sins of other people. Amos and Nathan. And remember Paul who confronted Peter in Galatians over a primary issue, by the way. Uh, and Peter confronting the Jews in Acts chapter 2 for crucifying Jesus. Uh, Jesus himself, he even confronted the religious leaders over primary issues, I might point out, um, confronted them and even interacted with them, even arguing with them um, and pointing out their sin. Even called them names. He called them names like snakes, whitewashed tombs, children of hell, blind fools, blind guides. These are harsh words coming from the Son of God. If pointing out sin was judgmental, then Jesus was a sinner. And we know that's not true. 
That's a primary doctrine, by the way, that Jesus was sinless. See, it's impossible to share the gospel without pointing out someone's sin. So it's not judgmental to point out what the Bible clearly says. It's judgmental when we say, I despise you for having a different opinion than I do about something that the Bible doesn't speak clearly about. We're not to judge and despise each other based upon these things because ultimately the Bible says that we're all accountable to Jesus. Look what Scripture says in verses 7 through verses 12. None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. I hope that your opinions have been washed in the blood of Christ. I hope that the way you express your opinions, and look, we know we're all guilty of this. I, I really and truly think that this is one of the most controversial things that we could talk about, is how, how, do, we, how do we interact with our opinions? I mean, do our opinions, are, are we accountable to Christ? Are we being accountable to Him for both the opinions that we have, how we share those opinions, and how we view other people with differing opinions. It says none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We all, we all belong to the Lord. You see, you're accountable to your master for your opinions about various things. You're accountable to your master for how you express your opinions and how you, how you view other people who have differing opinions than you. This is so incredibly important in how we live missionally. Because listen, if you can't do it among the body of Christ, it's going to be very, very hard when you get out into the public arena, out into society, to have the nature of Christ and how you relate to people so that you can witness to people, and so that you don't come across as one of those harsh, brow-beating uh, Christians that most all of us are criticized for being just because of our views on primary issues. I mean, you're all, you're all, people are already going to look down upon you because of what you believe about your primary and secondary issues that we've talked about. Don't give them more. <laughs> don't, don't make it even easier for them for you to have a quarreling attitude over, over things that, that, really, that really aren't that important. What is it about our flesh that just likes to fight and just likes controversy and just likes argument? It's just pride. It's just pride in wanting to be right and wanting the other person to recognize it and, and see that. But have you noticed that it rarely works? Anybody gotten into an argument on Facebook lately and changed someone else's opinion? I mean, that's just laughable. It just doesn't happen. You know, you don't change people's opinions by arguing with them. You change people's opinion by seeking to see that they have heart change through believing the gospel. That's really, that's really the whole point. And that's what we're trying to share so we're going to give it accountable to the Lord. And it says we're going to all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 
Bible says that we're going to have to give an account for every idle word that we have spoken. That's probably the second most terrifying verse that, I have, that I've read in all of the Bible. The first being, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the most terrifying verse. The second most terrifying is that I'm going to have to give an account to the Lord for every idle word that I've spoken. Even that self-talk that I never verbalized, those opinions and feelings and thoughts, those things that I say to myself, or maybe, maybe I whisper only to my spouse. The Bible says God's listening, and we're going to have to give an account for those things. That should scare us. That should make us say, Lord, I want my heart to change, because I know that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, Lord, change my heart and make it more like Jesus. You know, you know who I believe that we argue with most? I believe we argue most with God. Over things that are inconsequential in our life. Things that are holding us back from being the people that he wants us to be. Things that really in the grand scheme of things aren't that important. And God comes to you and says, hey, you know what? You're spending a little too much time with that. It's not a bad thing. You've made a good thing into a God thing. And maybe you need to, uh, maybe you need to, to, to not do that anymore. And we want to argue with God. We want to justify. I, I think that whenever the Lord speaks to us clearly from his word... I think there's, there's an argumentative spirit that we tend to have with him. Whenever he comes and he whispers and he talks to us and he tells us things, tells us to give up things, tells us to do things, tells us to go witness to our friend or our neighbor, tells us to sign up for that mission trip, tells us, it says, hey, you ought to go down there and volunteer at the Cookville Pregnancy Clinic for saying, hey, you know what, maybe you should sign up and help hold those babies in the nursery after all. Hey, I'm calling you to be a life group leader or a deacon. I'm calling you to be a missionary uh, vocational. I'm calling you to be a pastor. See, God tells his people to do things, and we quarrel with him. Do not, do we not? Anybody wrestled with God lately, quarreled with him over his opinion versus our opinion and what he's telling us to do and what he's telling us not to, to do? You know, I, I kind of feel like that that's the Christian life that we live. God gives us his word, he speaks to us, and we resist. There is this natural resistance that we have that God wants to break us from. But you know that he doesn't do it through shouting over us. He doesn't, he doesn't do it through arguing with us. He doesn't do it through dominating over us. He does it through just showing us his truth and displaying to us his love and there's something about that that wins us over. There's something about that method that God uses, that method of sacrifice, that method of service, that method of, of kindness and of love that ends up touching our heart. And eventually, if we have the Spirit of God inside of us, we respond to Him. I wonder if that's the way that God treats us. I wonder if that's the way that we should treat each other and especially the way that we should treat other people who are not in church so that we could truly live a missional life.